at Pella Windows and Doors of Wisconsin. Now get five years no interest plus five months no first payment. But only through December 31st. Set your free consultation today at PellaWI.com radio or call 855-PELLA-WI. Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. The AccuNet Mortgage Talk and Text Line is open now. Give us a call at 855-616-1620. And now, WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Good afternoon, Wisconsin. Welcome to the show. So very glad to have you with us. You know, O.J. Simpson notwithstanding, I think the majority of the time, the vast majority of the time, the jury system works and jurors get it right. Now, I, I understand that, you know, every once in a while you have these situations where you go, my goodness, what, what were they thinking? Or, or jurors get bamboozled or, or twisted up on stuff. But the majority of time, I, I think people are, are able to realize what went on. They're able to see through smoke screens that lawyers put up. They're able to, anticipate and see through defendants who lie on the witness stand they're they're able to figure out what exactly happened most of the time and we have another example of that in milwaukee yesterday and kudos to the jury kudos to the prosecutor um theodore edgecombe and we've been talking about this case over the last several days he is the guy who murdered the 54-year-old immigration attorney. They got involved in an incident. There's still some question in my mind as to what exactly happened. Did Edgecombe on a bicycle pull out and cause the vehicle that this Mister that the uh, victim in this case um, was was riding in? Did did, did he? Edgecombe caused that vehicle to swerve. Did the vehicle swerve into Edgecombe? Regardless, Edgecombe on a bicycle pulls up, punches the man in the face. When they then follow him, Edgecombe gets off his bike, pulls out a handgun, and shoots this Jason um, Clearman in cold blood at at point-blank range. He then runs. He's a fugitive for six months. He ditches the gun. When he's arrested, he lies about his identity, all all sorts of things. He was guilty, as you know what. He got on the witness stand. I watched a good portion of his testimony. He, in my opinion, lied through his teeth on a number of material things. I can't imagine what it would have been like to have been the victim's wife sitting in the courtroom having to listen to all this stuff. But at the end of the day, Jury did the right thing, took them only about two and a half hours to return a guilty verdict on first-degree reckless homicide in connection with this, and it, it doesn't bring the man back, but Edgecombe will now be looking at you know, jail 40, 50, 60 years, and, and that's, that's appropriate. This was a brutal murder. They tried to sell the theory of self-defense. They tried to play the race card. None of that worked. Kudos to the jury for seeing through this. And this is, again, another example of where I think the jury got it absolutely correct. We're still awaiting more details on this execution-style slaying in Milwaukee. The, the six people who were found dead in the home over the course of the weekend, uh, the, the Milwaukee Police Chief Jeffrey Norman, he, they, they still, they're not giving a lot of details, and I don't know if it's because they don't know the details or because they don't think it's in the interest of the investigation to come forward with the details, but they are making this very clear that this, they, they believe that this was a targeted slaying in connection with six people ending up, you know, dead. Now, it's interesting because some of the accounts of this, everybody is legitimately appalled by this, 
but the alderman for the district where this occurred, and as we've talked about before, this is an incredibly high-crime district. And one of the frustrating things to me is that whether it's the citizens who live in the district, whether it's the police, whether it's the prosecutors, they haven't been able to get a handle on crime. And so you have a lot of the law-abiding citizens who live in this particular area. They're, they're prisoners in their own, own homes to this. You know, we talked yesterday about an interview I saw on television with one of the neighbors who says, well, you know, we, we hear gunshots all the time. You know, it's, it's, I, I didn't hear the gunshots in this particular case. But if I had heard the gunshots, I wouldn't have done anything because, you know, gunshots are going on all the time. It was interesting to me that one of the news accounts I was watching, this was actually on Fox 6, uh, the alderman for the area is, is Russell Stamper. He's quoted as saying, this mass shooting is not representative of the district and is not representative of the city. To which I would say, what planet are you living on, alderman? I mean, seriously, looking at the current crime statistics, 22 murders already in the city of Milwaukee. And it's only, what, January 27th? There's almost been a murder a day. It's just staggering what's going on here. And for some of these Milwaukee aldermen to suggest, well, this these murders aren't representative of what's going on in my district, or it's not representative of crime. What are you not seeing? Do you not understand that you've got cars being stolen at a rate of over 25 cars a day? being stolen from the streets of Milwaukee, that you've got all this violence that's there, and to sit back and say, well, I, I don't think you know murders like this are representative. Yes, yes, they are. And that's why you need this degree of urgency to realize that what we have been doing and all this lip service that we've been giving to the crime problem, it's not working at all. And we need to not only be outraged when you hear stories like this, but we need to have calls to action. Now, I've already said, in my opinion, the answer, you flood the area with police, you start going after some of the little stuff, you put pressure on the district attorney to do his job and prosecute people, you put pressure on the court system to do their job and to actually sentence people when they're convicted. You've got to get a handle on this. But to simply say, well, okay, we've just found six bodies, it's not representative of the city, it's not representative of the district. All right, talk to the people that live in your district, Alderman, and they'll tell you a different story. All right, when we come back, some decisions are hard, some are easy. I'll tell you about a proposal which, to me, is as easy as pie, and we'll discuss. This is Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. Back for more, here's WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. When we look at the crime problems in the city of Milwaukee, we, we, we know what they are. I mean, the homicides through the roof. We, we know about the stolen cars. We know about all the other examples of the shooting and the violence. And one of the, the significant issues that I, th- I think sometimes is, is not talked about enough is the issue of reckless driving. You know, and, and again, it's all sort of related because you, you have the stolen cars, and a lot of times the people are stealing the cars because what they want to do is go on some giant joyride and let's take the car and let's drive it 120 miles an hour, and then we'll, we'll ditch the car after the police try to chase us and, and things like that. Um, and unfortunately, when it comes to reckless driving, you have people who have just been emboldened. As a matter of fact, what for years in the city of Milwaukee, thanks to former Mayor Tom Barrett and uh, the former police chief, Ed Flynn, the cops didn't even chase people. 
which was one of the most just stone-cold dumb policies that you could possibly have because the word got out and everybody knew, hey, you know, if you're driving a stolen car or you're doing a drug deal in a car and the police try to pull you over, just take off. Drive 95 miles an hour. They're not going to follow you. Well, thankfully, we've kind of reversed that. So now the police do chase, but it hasn't really stopped the amount of reckless driving. All right, so this evening, 530, the Milwaukee Police Commission is going to be meeting, and they're going to be looking at changing one of their rules with regard to how they handle reckless driving. The amendment to their rules would allow police officers to tow unregistered vehicles engaged in the following, endangering safety by reckless driving, exceeding the posted speed limit by 25 hour, miles an hour or more, fleeing from an officer, or drag racing. So under the rule change, if somebody had done something like that and the car was unregistered, well, instead of just giving the person a ticket or a citation, you would actually tow the car. Our number, 855-616-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Now, look, I, I understand that this is not a magic bullet because in, in many cases, what you're dealing with is you're dealing with stolen cars. So that's that's not necessarily going to be applicable to this because if it's a stolen car, well, then they're going to impound it anyways. But this is for a car that's not stolen, is in fact unregistered, and is being driven in this reckless fashion. Like I said um, in the introduction to this topic, I think you know some, some issues are hard. Some things are, are tough. Then there's stuff that's easy. And my answer is, of course, the police officer should be able to tow unregistered vehicles engaged in endangering safely by reckless driving, exceeding the speed limit by 25 miles an hour or more, fleeing or drag racing. Matter of fact, I would go one step farther than this, and I would say not only should they tow unregistered vehicles engaged in the following, I say they should tow every vehicle that is engaged in this, whether it's registered or not. Now, keep in mind, stolen cars are presumably going to be impounded. But for the other cars, to me, yes, you tow the unregistered cars that are doing this. I think you tow the registered cars that are doing this. 855-616-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Like I say, sometimes stuff is hard. Other times it's easy. I have believed for the longest time, if you want to get a handle on reckless driving, one of the things you do is you go after the vehicle itself that the person is driving. 855-616-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Tow the vehicles. Registered, unregistered, doesn't matter. If you decide you want to flee from police in a car, Boom, that car is going to be pulled off the street right away. 855-616-1620. And yes, this might inconvenience somebody, but too bad, it might save lives. 855-616-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Should we tow unregistered vehicles engaged in reckless driving? My answer is, of course we should. I would expand it. I'd be towing registered vehicles engaged in reckless driving. All right, if you're driving a car 35 miles an hour above the speed limit and you blow through a red light, you're darn right they should hook that car up and get you out of it. 855-616-1620. We discuss in a moment. Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. 
855-616-1620, which is the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Here's a text, Jeff. I agree. Cops should be able to tow vehicles in which the operator has a history of reckless driving or if the vehicle is unregistered. My only fear is that is going to prompt the criminals whose cars are getting towed to go out and steal at a higher frequency. We know that this is a good idea, but are the courts going to crack down on the criminals who are found stealing cars, or are they just going to turn them loose on the streets right after being caught? I'm afraid for the latter. Well, of course, that, that's that's why this isn't, as I said earlier, it's not the magic bullet that guarantees you, you stop it. But I, I guess the, the bottom line is you, you have to do something. So if you're driving an unregistered vehicle or the registration is expired or whatever, you have somebody who's driving at 95 miles an hour and blows through the stop sign, rather than just giving them a ticket, which they're going to ball up, throw in the back seat of the car, or throw out the window and drive off with no intention of paying, yeah, you take that car away from them. Now, I freely acknowledge that that, for some of these people, might just inspire them to go out and steal a car. Well, all right, then you need to move to, you know, Plan B, which is what we were talking about yesterday. My conception that, you know, stealing a car is a felony, and I think it is an absolute travesty that the Milwaukee County District Attorney's Office does not charge every car theft with that felony, does not demand jail time for every person that's caught stealing a car. If I was in the state legislature, I said yesterday, I would support mandatory minimum penalties for car theft. Um, the penalty right now is, I think, six years is where it starts as a general rule. Uh, say, all right, you can get up to six years, but you've got to do two or three years. I guarantee you if you started doing that, two things would happen. First of all, there would be a deterrent, and secondly, the number of car thefts would go down dramatically because these car thieves would be out on the street. 855-616-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Jeff, I agree. As for the argument of people that say, well, the vehicle could be borrowed from a law-abiding citizen, and that may can be an inconvenience. My response is, if someone borrows my car and they're driving in that manner, please tow it and get them out from behind the wheel. I don't want my vehicle hurting someone or getting destroyed, which is which is the point of, of all this. Yeah, registered, unregistered, and and here's the the bottom line of this. So let's say, let's say you you lend your car to your dirtball kid who is out there, blows through the red light, driving 95 miles an hour. Okay, so they get the car. The car comes back to mom or dad or whatever, and it's not stolen. Well, I guarantee you, if you tow that car and make mom and dad go in and have to pay to get that car back, they're going to think twice before you know they let Junior take that vehicle again, because otherwise there, there's really just no deterrent. Here, we're going to give Junior a ticket. Well, like I said earlier, Junior's got no intention of paying that ticket in the first place. Okay, well, Junior doesn't pay the ticket for reckless driving, and here's what we're going to end up doing. We'll take away Junior's driver's license, assuming for the sake of argument that Junior has a driver's license, which is probably a big assumption. But even if you take away the driver's license or suspend it, that's no deterrent because Junior is going to drive anyways. Jeff, where are they going to put all the cars? Well, this will be a boon for tow truck drivers. There's no question about that. But you know what? I'm willing to bet that they could find a place to put the cars. Um, But you got to get people 
out of these different vehicles. you got to tell people that there is going to be a penalty for this. Jeff, um, my guess is that if you started doing this, there are certain cities, in certain streets in the city, that this would eliminate 50% of the vehicles. I would say yes. Well, I, I don't know. Again, we're not talking about towing every vehicle that's unregistered. We're talking about towing vehicles that are unregistered, that are used in a reckless driving sort of situation. Why should we have to wait until that 17-year-old driving the car goes 95 miles an hour, blows through the red light, loses control of the car, and slams head-on into the, the family of four who's coming the other way down the street. And, and at that point in time, oh, we've got three or four people dead, or their lives are irrevocably changed, and then we say to the 17-year-old, okay, well, we're going to put you in prison for 10 or 15 or 20 years for doing this. What, why do we have to wait until that happens. Um, Tony from Milwaukee says, Jeff, it's a great idea, and I think they should take it to another step. Tow if no driver's license, too. Um, Of course, that would be that around the city of Milwaukee, most of the cars would be towed. Well, there is that element as well that, you know, if if we really started saying we mean what we say when we say that you have to have insurance, we mean what we say when we say that you have to have a driver's license. If we really started enforcing the law all across the board, I completely agree that you'd be having all sorts of cars that are taken away. But look, I, I say this on this program on an almost daily basis. When are we going to say enough is enough? And when are we going to recognize that what we've been doing is not working. And for people who think that this is a problem exclusively limited to the city of Milwaukee, it, it's it's not. I still keep going back to that story a couple months ago about the the kids that were driving, I think, the stolen car, you know, down Good Hope Road at 95 miles an hour. They swing in, they're driving westbound, and they swing into the eastbound lane, and, and they hit, and they're, they're, they have a head-on collision, and there's people dead. And, and we just say, oh, this is terrible. Well, yeah, it is terrible, but we're not doing anything to stop it. And I applaud the Fire and Police Commission for at least being willing to look at this. Towing unregistered cars is what I would call a baby step, but it is certainly an appropriate step. Tow registered cars, that's the next step. Start putting the people that steal cars into prison, guaranteeing that they have to serve some time, and you're going to only then start to get a handle on the menace that is going on in the Milwaukee streets. You're listening to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. How often have you been sitting at home, you're you're watching a baseball game or a football game or a basketball game or your favorite movie, and, and all of a sudden there's that loud beep, 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 and your sound goes out, and the emergency alert system takes over your television. And then you get the, the scrawl that comes across that says there's been an amber alert that's been issued or, or something like that. And, and you, you sit there and you go, I can't believe that they're doing this. You know, this is just terrible. I want to be able to, you know, hear what's going on and things like that. And, and you're frustrated. And then it seems like it kind of goes on for forever. And then finally, you know, it ends and, you know, you get control of your television back. And, and I understand the frustration that the people have with that, but at the same time, you got to. I've always argued you've got to see the the big picture. And the big picture is if law enforcement is, for example, issuing an emergency alert, 
um, or they're saying we've got the Amber Alert that's out there. What they are communicating is that there is a, a very, very, there's an emergency situation that's there. And for all the frustration that people might have about hearing an Amber Alert, well, the, the truth is, if that was your six-year-old kid or your six-year-old grandson that had gone, you know, missing, you you would be extremely upset about that. So to me, it's always been what I would describe as the, the ultimate you know, first world problem if you're complaining that your TV set is, has been taken over for a few minutes as, again, the law enforcement asks for help in trying to find an abducted child or warns people that there might be a volatile situation that's out there, which brings me to the volatile situation that occurred a couple days ago. And I think everybody is familiar with this story um, involving the Milwaukee County Sheriff's deputy who was shot multiple times. So what what happened, for people who might not be familiar with this story, is it's a sheriff's deputy who, who makes a, what we would call a quote-unquote routine traffic stop, stops a car, 2.30 in the morning, somewhere along that lines. Stops the car because there's a bad registration. Um, we don't know why the driver and the passenger decided to run, but the driver and the passenger run from the traffic stop. So the sheriff's deputy calls in backup. So what happens is they're able to catch the driver right away. The passenger of the vehicle, he, he's able to run away. So there then becomes like this manhunt for him. They're, they're looking for the guy that's run. We now know that at one point in time, the passenger is confronted by a couple members of the sheriff's department. He pulls out a gun and he shoots one of the members of the sheriff's department. He shoots a sheriff's deputy multiple times. Um, now, the good news is that the sheriff's deputy, even though being shot on multiple occasions, he, he's going to survive. But after shooting the sheriff's deputy, the shooter, who was the original passenger of the car, continues to run away. At that point in time, after you have someone who has shot a sheriff's deputy, what happens is there is an, a massive emergency alert which goes out to all of Milwaukee County. And it is entirely possible that you were awakened, like at 3.30 in the morning, if your phone is set up for this, by these loud beeps, you know, your phone going off, just like it would if there's a tornado or something that's coming your way, to the emergency alert. The sheriff's department said, look, we, we have, we're looking for armed suspects. We have somebody who tried to murder a sheriff's deputy who was on the loose. And the way they describe it is the lieutenant who was in command of the street felt it was important that we issue an alert to the immediate area. Hey, people in this neighborhood, you should know, we understand it's 3.30 in the morning, but you should know that there's a guy that just shot a police officer who's armed, who is incredibly dangerous, and who's loose. Now, the issue is that the way the system works right now is they can't they can't narrow it down to like say a specific three block geographic area what happens is that when they send this out it essentially goes to all Milwaukee County 
And that's just the way the system is set up. The technology doesn't allow them to send alerts to targeted certain neighborhoods. So that they send out this overall alert. I'm sure it was alarming to a lot of people. I'm sure it was kind of disturbing. And some people, including some elected officials, are, are frustrated that you know they were awakened from their sound sleep by getting this notification. Our number is 855-616-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. And by the way, it is possible because of where cell phones were set, the cell phone towers are, it is possible that even some people on the fringes of Milwaukee County got it. Now, in a perfect world, you know, this, you could target the alert that says, okay, this is the geographic area that we're looking in. But the police are being criticized, number one, for sending out the alert in the first place at 3.30 in the morning. And then people are criticizing, well, you know, it should have been more narrow. But the technology doesn't allow you to do this. 855-616-1620, which is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Look, I have no problem with anything that was done here. And I think for the people who are whining about this, you really need to take a step back and recognize what happened. You had a police officer who was shot on multiple occasions by a gunman who was on the loose in the neighborhood. Now, as it turns out, they ultimately found the guy and and he killed himself rather than being taken into custody. But for a period of time, you had somebody who was willing and had attempted to murder a police officer who was running through the area. I have no problem at all with them sending out the alert. I'm sure it alarmed some people. I I get it. I understand a couple schools in the area went virtual. Well, okay, that's what's happened. But don't you want to know, don't you want to know if a six-year-old kid has been abducted? Don't you want to know if there's a tornado on the way? Don't you want to know if there's a would-be cop killer who's running around the streets? 855-616-1620. I have no problem at all with sending out the alert. Sorry some people might have lost some sleep. Sorry some people might have been alarmed. But there was somebody out there who tried to kill a cop, and I think the public needed to know. 855-616-1620. We discuss in just a moment. This is Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. 855-616-1620, which is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Jeff, I received the alert. I live in Greenfield. I woke up. I looked at the address. I saw it was 5.3 miles away from my house. I went down, made sure that my doors were locked, and went back to bed. I'd rather get too many alerts than not get an alert that is something, if it's dangerous and it's close to my house. Jeff, I'm all for this. This was close to my neighborhood. We got up. We made sure all our windows and doors were locked. Um, Jeff, the people that are complaining about this, well, they need to know that you can go into your phone settings and disable all AMBER and emergency alerts. Now, yeah, you, you, you can do that. I, I would not encourage people to do it because then you're, you're not going to know what's going on. 855-616-1620. Jeff, the police were trying to do the right thing by warning the public. The fact that some members of the public complain about that is one of the reasons why so many officers are leaving the job early. Jeff, I think these complaints are ridiculous. The police did the right thing. They had a responsibility to let the community know that it was an immediate danger. Clearly, the guy was an imminent threat because he ended up killing himself. Kudos to the police for communicating with the public in a timely and responsible manner. Yeah, this, this by the way, and see what, what struck me about this conversation is 
this is this is somebody that that shot a police officer at three o'clock in the three thirty in the morning and is is now on the run in in the neighborhood. This isn't a situation where you have okay, a couple kids were joyriding and the cops tried to pull them over and they ran. I mean that that happens. It seems like it happens three or four times an evening. But this was somebody who shot a police officer on multiple occasions and was in fact at large. I mean, don't you have an obligation to notify the community? And and again, I, I think if if you want to say, hey, we, we need to work on this technology and maybe we need to figure out a way that we can make it more localized. I mean, if this incident you know, happened, you know, where it happened, you know, why, why do we need to alert somebody in Fox Point, for example, and in, in, in the northern, northeastern end of Milwaukee County, because chances are the person's not there. Uh, I mean, and I, I understand that, but I mean, according to, like, the authorities, the, the technology they have now, it's pretty much like an all or nothing sort of thing, and I guess I would vote for all, and if you don't want to have your beauty sleep disturbed, well, okay, that that's fine, you can shut these off, but I don't think that's a very smart thing to do either. Bob in Greenfield. Bob, you're on WTMJ. Hey, Jeff. I, I generally don't like these, especially like when I'm watching television and, um, you know, they start beeping and I can't hear it. And in that case, yep. I think they should just have it, not the sound, but have it. They can continue to have it go across the screen. You know, it's the same thing if you're watching, you know, and I, I think they abuse those a lot where you've got a six-year-old kid who might be with her mother who lived at 22nd and, uh, Villard, and you know, it's like if you're watching TV, you're not out there looking for the 2001 uh, beat up Buick. Uh, in the case of this police officer, you know, it was freezing cold, so nobody's going out. It doesn't absolutely positively have to be out. And there were a zillion cops in that area. And I guess, you know, you, you say it's important because the cop got shot, and it, and it is, it is. But what benefit? You know, by this alert, are people going to They just know that, you know, don't go out your door or don't answer your door at uh, 340 in the morning or whatever? I, to me, it's Well, it, I mean, it's well, but I tell you, Bob, and I, I have, well, Bob, I, I just had a handful of texters who got it and said, we, we got up, we made sure that our doors and windows were locked, you know, because, you know, we, we I got one up. guy said, I, I live in the area. Yeah. Yeah. yeah well, Bob, thanks, thanks for calling. I mean, I, look. Very, I, thanks for calling. I mean, look, I I, I understand. I, I, look, I, I understand it is annoying, and and I I get the idea that you say, well, you know, what are they going to do? Are people going to go look for that? But I I don't know. I have to tell you, if this was something in my neighborhood where there had there was an active shooting situation, and somebody had shot a police officer and was on the run and was armed, and people say, well, does it make any difference if they shot the police officer? Well, it, well only to the extent that if you are willing to shoot a police officer under these circumstances, it tells me how particularly depraved you must be. And the evidence of the dangerousness of this guy is when he was ultimately confronted, he killed himself. So you can only wonder whether or not if he had stumbled upon a couple other ordinary citizens, he would have killed them too. So I, I guess you can argue, well, gee, do we put this out every time there's a murderer on the loose? And you know, given the fact that there was close to 200 homicides in the city of Milwaukee I, I, last year, I, I'm not arguing that. But you look at the different factual situations, and I don't know, if I lived in that neighborhood, I would, I'd want to know. I guess that's how I look at it. I'd I'd want to know. Again, if you if you don't want to get those alerts, if you don't want to hear about the tornadoes, if you don't want to hear about the Amber alerts, that that's fine. You you, you can shut this off. 
but then you know you're you're taking a huge risk. Otherwise, I, I'm sorry you got awakened at three thirty or three forty five in the morning, and maybe at some point in time we can spend some more money and we can get the technology so you can put it into a, a narrower area. But if the choice is not sending out the alert or sending it out across the, the county, I, I'm, I'm voting on sh- on sending it out across the county. Lucy on the west side. Lucy, you're on WTMJ. Hi. Um, I'm one of the people that was affected. I live on the periphery of what I think is the legitimate area. This guy was at 68th and Adler. I'm really familiar with the area. Um, It ruined my day because it messed up my sleep, but I think they were right to put out the alert. I do think that it would be a good idea to to work on the technology so it didn't have to catch such a wide net. I mean, I knew he was on foot. it modified my behavior a little bit. I locked up my car, didn't didn't take a purse when I went to a large park to walk the dog because he was, still hadn't been captured. Um, and and like I say, I'm on the periphery, so I on my list of things to whine about. That's pretty low. <laughs> Yeah, it, well, that, that's that, that's ex- exactly it. And, and look, and I understand the frustration people have. And our last caller was talking about, well, it it disturbs me when I get these Amber Alerts and things like that. And it's inconvenient because, and, and I'm not necessarily going to be looking for the car. And, and that might be true, but if that was your kid or your grandkid, you, you maybe there is somebody that, that hears that, and maybe there is somebody out there, even though you're not going to be looking for the car, that, that then, hey, sees there's that beat-up Buick or whatever that matches that description, and they call the cop. I mean, to me, it's 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 pretty selfish, I, I guess, to say no. We we shouldn't tell people about these crimes that are in progress. So, thanks for the call, Lucy. I appreciate it. I mean, again, it's it's just it's one of those situations there. I, and again, this is another one of these examples of the police are are damned if they do and damned if they don't. Now, let me let me give you a different scenario. Now, in this particular case, the shooter. All right, the shooter you know took his own life, and the police officer is going to survive. But let's say it's a situation where you, you have this active shooting situation. The shooter is on the loose, and and you don't alert people. You don't put that notification that's out there, and somebody. I don't wakes up in the morning, walks out to get the newspaper or whatever. And I understand it was freezing cold, but you you walk out to get the newspaper or whatever, and the guy is lurking in the area. Next thing you know, he takes you hostage. He goes in. He's holding you know you and your spouse and the kids hostage. And and, and again. I don't know that that would have prevented it, but then, of course, you know, the police would have been saying, why didn't you alert everybody in the in the community that there was an active shooter who was out there who might be looking to try to, I don't know, escape from the cops? It, it really, it's a no-win sort of situation, and I guess I agree with our caller, Lucy, of the different things that I'm going to be outraged about. All right, casting a wide net and telling people that there, there's an active shooter that's out there and you might want to be on the lookout for him, even if that occurs at 4 o'clock in the morning, I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read it. I'm going to see it's not by where I live. I'm going to shut it off, and then I'm going to roll over, kiss my wife, and go back to sleep. That, that's, that's what I'm going to do, but I'm not going to fault the police for telling people about it. Back with more in just a minute. This is Jeff Wagner. This is Jeff Wagner. So glad to have you with us. 
one more text on this. Jeff, my son, my wife, and small child, and, and their small children, live on 68th and Dixon. They were up with a sick child. They heard the police cars. Then they heard the alerts. Then they got up and checked their doors. They were happy to have the alert. Remember the Waukesha Parade situation? Remember the citizen who allowed that guy into his house? He needed to hear the alert. It might have saved his life when he finally saw his phone. Yeah, see, that, this is why you, you do this thing. And if we had a situation where you had, I mean, every three hours you had one of these alerts going off, I, I might have a different situation, a p- position on this. But that that's not what happened here. So I am not at all going to fault the police for doing this. And I hope they do the same thing if another unfortunate situation like this occurs. When we come back after the news, don't New York and California my kitchen. I'll explain. We'll discuss. Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. And now, WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Just when you thought it was safe to go back to the sports pages, um, did the Aaron Rodgers controversy heating up quite a bit, uh, as Greg was talking about, the Packers offensive coordinator uh, will be leaving and taking a job as the head coach of the Denver Broncos. For people who might remember that the Denver Broncos Back when there was all this speculation before last season, the Denver Broncos were one of those teams that was apparently very interested in trying to, you know, bring Aaron Rodgers over. Denver ended up at seven and ten last year. They finished fourth in their division, but um, Denver has a very, very solid team. They're not necessarily in a rebuilding sort of mode, and you could easily see a situation, at least this is where the speculation would be, that now that you've got the Packers offensive coordinator going to be the head coach at uh, Denver, maybe, just maybe, this is where Aaron Rodgers would want to be if he wants a different challenge. The other interesting thing is that uh, apparently Denver you know, does have, right now they've got the ninth pick in this year's draft, and they could also package that with several others from this year and next. So, I mean, Denver's in a situation where if Aaron Rodgers wants out, they could they could make a very very competitive offer to the the Packers. Now I, I don't know that that's going to necessarily happen, but the bottom line is that if you think the Aaron Rodgers drama is going away, it, it's certainly not over the course of the next month or so. And hopefully, you know, by the time free agency starts, we'll know. But this is going to be there's going to be a lot of back and forth and what's going to happen and where are these different players going to go and what are the Packers going to look like and what happened yesterday with the Denver Broncos signing the Packers offensive coordinator is the head coach that did nothing to stop this all right I, I, I said in the lead into this don't don't California and New York my my kitchen um, I don't know about you but if think about your home and for example at, at our house we, we've got natural gas that heats the furnace very, very happy with that. Now, we have a gas, we do not have a gas stove for cooking. We have an electric stove. But I know that there's a lot of people out there that, that have gas stoves. And as a matter of fact, that a lot of the professionals will say it's much, much better to cook on a gas stove than it is to cook on an electric stove. Don't, don't have a strong feeling about that because bottom line is I don't cook that much anyways. But But people love their gas stoves. At the same time, there is this argument out there that natural gas is bad for the environment. And that's why in New York City 
and in certain communities in California, including San Francisco, there is a ban on new natural gas hookups for heating and cooking. So that if you have, for example, natural gas that's heating your home, you don't have to pull it out and put in you know, electric. But if you're building a new home, or you're, I believe, retrofitting your old home, you, you can't put in natural gas. You can't use it for cooking. You can't use it for heating. And this is supposedly because we want to save the planet. This this argument got some steam in the last day or so because there's a study out of Stanford which has found, well, here's the headline, Americans' gas stoves are as bad for the climate as half a million cars. Uh, gas, this is a study from Stanford, gas-burning stoves loved by cooks leak methane across the U.S., many when the appliances are not in use, and they have the same impact on our atmosphere as half a million cars, according to a Stanford University study. They say also that these gas stoves emit a significant amount of nitrogen dioxide, a pollutant that can trigger asthma and other respiratory conditions. So for everybody out there who's been cooking on a gas stove all these years, who, who knows, at least according to some of these researchers, you have in fact been poisoning yourself. You've been poisoning yourself. And so that's why there's this push saying, well, if, if you've got a gas cooktop, you know, what, what you need to do, you need to get rid of it. It's a good idea for the planet. It's a good idea for air quality. Now, right now, about one-third of households in the United States, it's about 40 million homes, cook with natural gas. In California, 60% of households favor the popular fuel. But the Stanford study is saying, well, you know, there, there's leaks of these methane gas that's out there. What we need to do is we need to get people away from using natural gas to cook. Our number, 855-616-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Well, the government is, in fact, you know, moving in. It, it's, it, it, as individuals, I mean, obviously, if you decide, hey, I think electric is the way to go and I want to use an electric cooktop, well, that's fine. Anybody gets to make that decision. But there's more and more pressure being brought on governments to either force change-outs or prevent people from having the option of cooking with natural gas. So let's tee this up. 855-616-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Here in Wisconsin, do, do we want to have legislators, do we want to have the government essentially California us and say, okay, no new natural gas hookups, no natural gas for cooking, no natural gas for heating, but let's focus on cooking right now. You know, get rid of those stoves that use gas, go to electric, 855-616-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I guess I, I, I kind of lump this study in with some of these other things that you know just predict the, the end of the world. We have been cooking with natural gas for a long, long, long time, and I really don't see people dropping over dead as a result of that. Given the fact that it is more efficient, given the fact that it is cheap, if people want to do it, I say I think they should be able to continue do it, doing it. 855-616-1620. All right, if you cook with natural gas, do you think it's time to switch over to electric? We discuss in just a minute. 855-616-1620. This is Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. 
855-616-1620, which is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. All right, this is a big headline story all across the country today. Lead story in the Washington Post, or one of the lead stories. Gas stoves and kitchen pose a risk to public health and the planet. Research finds. There's this study out of California, out of Stanford, that says, oh, you know, we've we got to get rid of these gas stoves because it turns out that they we've studied these stoves in California and, and they leak methane, and, and that can be bad for the climate, and it can cause all these different problems. Well, I don't know anybody who's been decimated because, I don't know, of, of their gas stove leaking things. But the push is, all right, this is what let's do. Let's go along with what San Francisco is doing. Let's go along with what New York is doing, and let's ban gas stoves. And that's what they've already done in any sort of new construction. 855-616-1620. Let's start with Todd in Milwaukee. Todd, you're first. Hello. Hi. Thanks for taking my call. Uh, sure. I've been a chef for 42 years, and uh, okay. I love gas and electric, but I'd rather cook with gas. I hope we can keep the choice. Why Why do you prefer gas to electric? Uh, it's much cleaner, and it, it actually is faster. You can make things hotter or cooler as you're cooking instead of being on uh, the wait for the electric burner to cool down. Right. Right, right, right. Um, thanks for the call, Todd. I, I appreciate it. No, and I, uh, and here's some direct text. 855-616-1620 is the number. Both gas and electric have their advantages, and restaurants use both along with other specialized equipment. But there are certain things they cook and serve that you need gas to prepare. Electric is not able to produce the desired result. Jeff, I'll quit cooking before using an electric stove. I've used a gas range for 35 years. I don't think I'm really poisoning myself. Jeff, never will I change. Keep the politics out of my kitchen. Jeff, my grandmother had a gas stove all her life. She lived until 98. She was sharp as a tack. I say keep the gas. Well, yeah, that, that's it. Um, look, uh, Jeff, does this include propane? No. Well, you can't have a gas hookup, I guess, is what that would say. Jeff, I'm tired of other people telling me what I can and cannot use. And then a number of people are, are making this point in their texts. Where Where is all the electricity going to come from? Last time I checked, you know, California had huge problems with the athletic, with their, their grid. You know, that's absolutely correct as well. Look, here, here's the bottom line. I am a free market guy. And if you decide that you prefer to cook with with electricity over gas, if you decide that you prefer to heat your home with electricity over natural gas, that, that that's fine. You do it. And, and maybe there's advantages to, to both. I still believe natural gas is it's cheap comparatively, even though I understand what's been going on with utility bills. We talked about that yesterday. But it's cheap. It is comparatively clean. It is efficient, and it's reliable. So uh, that would be my decision. And again, in our house, we've got an electric stove, so it's not a situation where we, we have that option of putting it in. I'm not pulling out the electric stove to put in the gas stove. But everybody I know who has gas stoves swears by them and absolutely loves them. And I guess I just don't think that the government should tell us this. And as far as some of these studies that, that are out there that have now determined that something that we have had, you know, people have been, of course, cooking with gas 
for years and years and years and years and decades upon decades. Well, we've now decided that, okay, you're, you're actually secretly poisoning yourself. Uh, pardon me if, if I'm not somewhat skeptical about this, because I don't see people dropping over as a result of exposure to methane through, like, tiny leaks in the gas stove. But even if there is, that's not an argument, to my mind, for getting rid of the gas stove. If, if it's true that there are leaks of methane gas, that's an argument for having somebody come in and double-check and taking care of the leak. I, I mean, that would be like saying, okay, you've got a leak in your right front passenger tire, so here's what we're going to do. you got to get rid of the car. <laughs> you know, you, you, if, if that's the problem, you fix the leak, and, and then you, you go on. But, of course, that's not where we're trying to go with this. You know, we, we've got a lot of the people out there that think they know better, and what they're trying to do is they're trying to pressure people into uh, doing what they think they want to do, which in this case is cooking with electricity. The ultimate irony of this is where do people think electricity comes from? I mean, I understand there's some folks who think that, well, you just you just flick that switch and it's there magically without recognizing how you have to generate all that. Bottom line is this is an idea that's gotten a lot of traction on the East Coast and on the West Coast. My point is don't California, don't New York, my kitchen. Don't California, don't New York, my Wisconsin. Back with more in just a minute. This is Jeff Wagner. Welcome back to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. Well, I'm sure people's lives are a lot better now. Woodrow Wilson. Woodrow Wilson, for people who might not be familiar, was the... um, 28th president of the United States, two terms, 1913 to 1921. Woodrow Wilson was a very, we don't say liberal anymore, progressive member of the Democratic Party. Um, He had been the president of Princeton University. He was the governor of New Jersey. He was a big-time liberal. Um, He was a leading architect of the League of Nations, um, had a very liberal stance on foreign policy that became known as Wilsonianism. Um, He was uh, one of the people who ultimately got the United States involved in in World War I. He began the modern income tax. It's created the Federal Reserve System, created the Federal Trade Commission, the Clayton Antitrust Act um, to promote business competition, combat extreme corporate power. I mean, this guy, he he was FDR before FDR rolled in. Well, Woodrow Wilson is now persona non grata because Woodrow Wilson was born during the the Civil War, um, right at the end of the Civil War, 1856, and he was born in in the South, um, mainly Augusta, Georgia. And one of the things was that, you know, growing up as a child of the South during Reconstruction, there were certain attitudes that people developed towards, uh, I mean, the different races. And and that's so he was a a product of that. But I I think it's very, very clear that as, as Woodrow Wilson became older and moved into public life, he largely moved beyond this. But, you know, nevertheless, you know, you have this history that's tied into the segregation in the South. 
Woodrow Wilson did a lot of things that, in general, what you would have, you know, this this agenda is something that liberals all across the country would, would be endorsing. Oh, this is great. But they've now turned on him again because of this perception that, okay, Woodrow Wilson... Um, because of his, his upbringing in the South and some of the you know different things he looked at, he was he was not as sympathetic to race relations as he probably should have been, which may very well be the case. But again, he in many respects he's a product of his times. Well, anyhow, I, I bring this up because there's a New Jersey high school, and he again was the governor of New Jersey that has been named after Woodrow Wilson for like for, forever. Woodrow Wilson High School. They have just announced that they have changed that name because of his racist values. And so when the next school year begins, the school is no longer going to be called Woodrow Wilson High School. It's going to be called East Side High School. And again, some people in the community had become outraged about, well, don't you understand that even though he did all these wonderful things and even though he accomplished all this stuff, you know, we believe that, you know, by our standards in 2022, he had expressed and demonstrated racist values. And so we we can't have our children going to a a school, despite what all the accomplishments this man had, we we can't have him going to a school that's named after after him because you know how will they they deal with this he was guilty of racist thinking i I guess i I look at this and i think as i often often say there's real racism in this world and whenever you see the real racism in the world what you need to do is you need to identify it you need to condemn it you need to deal with it at the same time this idea of going after public figures including public figures who my guess is a lot of the people that are going after Woodrow Wilson would agree with 90 to 95 percent of his policies. But they're saying, OK, because, you know, we don't think he was as progressive as he should have been on, on racial issues, again, largely because he's probably a product of, of his upbringing. That means that we cannot honor his accomplishments. I guess my question about all this is where does this get us as a society and, and how much how much of this cancel culture is going to exist? And can we, in fact, if, if we can't talk about Thomas Jefferson anymore, and we can't talk about Woodrow Wilson anymore, and we can't talk about George Washington anymore, what does it leave us with, with our with our history? And is it fair to judge people who you know passed away in 1920, whatever, by the standards of 2022, and by removing this guy's name from the high school? Have we really made the the life? and times of anybody who attends that high school materially better in every way. But it makes some people feel good, I guess. So Woodrow Wilson, he's now been canceled. Welcome back to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. So how did Joe Biden get where he is today? Let me take you back to to March of 2020. And people sort of forget this, but remember you had a crowded Democrat field, lots of Democrats running for president. And what happened was actually Bernie Sanders, you know, crazy Bernie, Bernie was leading through the first couple of, of primaries. Joe Biden actually did very, very poorly. I guess if you want to be fair, maybe you say lackluster appearances. The, the Iowa caucuses, 
Biden did not do well at. Uh, the New Hampshire primary, Biden did not do well at. Nevada, he did not do well in. You know, Sanders had come out on top. He was the front runner in the race. And if you will remember, the race then went to South Carolina. And you had other candidates who were dropping out. And there was this fear that Bernie Sanders, if the Sanders campaign wasn't stopped, what was going to happen is he was going to roll to the nomination, and then you'd have the real question about whether America was ready to actually have a, an avowed you know, socialist as, as the president of the United States. But Joe Biden went to South Carolina, and South Carolina was essentially, it was, it was the Biden fire door. Biden has always had strong appeal in the black community. And the percentage of black voters in the the Democratic primary in South Carolina was huge. And so he he rolls into South Carolina. South Carolina is kind of like the firewall. And if you remember, if Biden had not performed well in South Carolina, that would have probably been the end of his campaign. So he needs South Carolina, and in particular, he needs the black vote in South Carolina, and he ended up getting it. Uh, He won South Carolina with about 48% of the votes. Bernie Sanders came in with 19%, and everybody else were just like way in way in the back. And in using South Carolina, what happened is Democrats sort of coalesced around Biden and defeated Bernie Sanders, and Biden went on to win the nomination and to win the, the election. But he owes a lot to South Carolina, and in particular, he owed a lot to the African-American, the black voters in the South Carolina Democratic primary. So w- where did this pledge to select a black female Supreme Court justice came come from, and, and it really came from South Carolina. They were in a debate in February 2020, and um, that's where Biden made the, the promise in an effort to try to appeal to black voters in South Carolina. He said that he, he was going to name a black woman to the Supreme Court. And so that's why... He now finds himself in the situation he finds himself in today where he's made that commitment and apparently he intends to honor this. And so when he names a replacement for Stephen Breyer, who's going to be stepping down, that apparently, according to Biden, is going to be a black woman. Well, all right, here's the interesting, you know, numbers about this. Um, The American Bar Association does a a profile uh, of, of attorneys. And um, what they say is, uh, this is as of last year, about 4.7% of American lawyers are black and 37% of lawyers are females. So the ABA report doesn't break out black women in particular, but the implication is that roughly 2% of American lawyers are both black and and female, 2%. Right, our number is 855-616-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Look, J- Joe Biden is the president. Elections have consequences. He gets to choose whoever he wants to choose as the Supreme Court, next Supreme Court justice. But by doing what he's doing and saying, all right, you've got to check these certain boxes. It's got to be a female, and it has to be a black female. You have limited your choices dramatically 
You're, you're not going to be looking at Hispanic males. You're not going to be looking at Hispanic females. You're not going to be looking at, you know, white liberal lawyers. You're, you're narrowed it down to maybe 2% of the legal profession that, that's out there. Maybe it's 2.5% or, or whatever, but it, it's a small percentage. I am not saying that some of the names that are being thrown around aren't competent, qualified people. But Biden has essentially said, I, I'm not looking at competent, qualified people. I, I'm not just, at least I'm not just looking at competent, qualified people. I'm not looking at white males. You don't need to bother to apply. I'm not looking at Hispanic males or Hispanic females. You don't need to apply. White women, you don't need to apply. It's going to be a black female. 855-616-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Biden gets to make that call. But is this the right call to limit yourself to this particular subset of court candidates? And believe me, I am not suggesting in any way, shape, or form that you you cannot find a, a qualified black female. I, I, I and some of the names, like I say, they're throwing around. I, I think they'd be perfectly, you know, acceptable. But at the same time, don't, don't you want the best person? And by limiting in this way, have you guaranteed that you're going to get the best person? 855-616-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I mean, it's Biden's call. I mean, I understand that, and I understand the politics of why he made that promise. But is this the best way to pick a Supreme Court justice? 855-616-1620. We discuss in a moment. Welcome back to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. Eight five five six one six one six twenty, which is the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Now you, you have to understand that that's why I gave through the history of this. That this is the politics of this. Joe Biden needed to win South Carolina to to stop Bernie Sanders. He needed the black vote in South Carolina, so he pledged that his appointment to the Supreme Court would be a black female. And and, and so there was the political motivation behind it. I, I have no doubt that you know, he, he's going to be able to find a qualified candidate. I've looked at the resumes of some of the people that are there. But I wonder how you know, everybody else feels. The, the liberal white men who aren't even getting, being looked at, the white females who aren't going to get looked at, the Hispanic females and males who aren't going to get looked at, the Asian males and females who aren't going to get looked at, not because they might not be the next great Supreme Court justice. They might not be the next Douglas. They might not be the next Frankfurter, but simply because they don't check those various boxes. Biden has the right to do whatever he wants. And like I say, I'm sure he's going to find a qualified candidate. But is this the way to do it, to narrow yourself in this fashion? Sandy and Stevens Point. Sandy, you're on WTMJ. Hi, Jeff. How you doing? Real well, thanks. What do you think? My, my my thoughts are this screams discrimination. I'm a white woman, and I don't understand why you can get away with saying I want to nominate a black woman, but if it were turned around and if it was a, uh, another president, whatever president, and said I am going to nominate a white woman or a white man, and that would be, oh, my gosh, everybody would be up in airs about it. It should be based on qualifications and not based off of race or gender. And I don't understand. I mean, we're all we're working towards this country to become one and not look at color. And he is epitome of separating us 
as individuals in color. Well, Sandy, the president's argument would be, look, we, we want a Supreme Court that reflects the diversity of America. And we, at this point in time, we do not have a black female on there. So in order to promote that diversity, I'm, I'm going to pick a black female. I mean, I think that would be the argument. Okay, but my argument would be if I was in that position and, ha- and I had the qualifications and I worked my entire life to possibly mm-hmm. get that seat and I didn't have a chance to even yeah. look at because I was the wrong color, it's not fair. Yeah. Hey, thanks for calling. Eight five five six one six one six twenty. Well, that's. I, I guess that that's the that's sort of the message that you send. What, what about all the? And again, I, let, let's let's recognize the ideology. I mean, you know, um, what's going to happen here is Joe Biden is looking for a, a liberal to replace Stephen Breyer, and that, that's elections that have consequences. That's it. But he's kind of painted himself into a box because I, I I don't know by by saying you have to meet these certain qualifications. Now, if you have this this jurist that's out there, you got somebody on a court of appeals or some law school professor who's young and who's liberal um, and who's just, you know, th- this would be the exact type of person that I think ideologically should be on the court for the, the next 20 or 30 or 40 years. You, you paint yourself into a situation where you cannot select them because you, you've already said there's going to be this litmus test and, and it's got to be a black and it's got to be a female. I, and the reason I bring this up is I said this was a mistake, in my opinion, when Biden did it in, in March of 2020. He, he had to do and it. And it's not a mistake to necessarily pick a black female. Like I say, I'm sure you can find qualified candidates that are out there and the names that they're mentioning would all, I think, be sort of perfectly fine. But if I were the president and I might only get like one appointment, for example, during my term, I I think I'd want to find the most outstanding person I could instead of narrowing it like he has to a a very, very small number of candidates. And maybe the other larger question is, well, you know, isn't it unfortunate that there's only, you know, 2% of the legal profession are, are black females? And, you know, that's another argument. 855-616-1620, which is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Bob in New London. Hi, Bob. You're on WTMJ. Hi. Hi there. Well, I don't want to be redundant with what the past caller said, but I think we should strive to have a meritocracy uh, that's blind to um, things like sex and color. Um, and your rebuttal was a good one that the other side would bring up, that we want to have, you know, a makeup of a court that reflects the makeup of the nation. But... Diversity really comes from diversity of thought, not the way a person looks, right? So we want to have diverse thought make up our our court. Um, But I also wanted to add that, um, you know, these kind of things happen every day in in state and local government and even in corporate America where they make decisions to sort of fill quotas um, and not necessarily hire the most qualified candidate. Yeah, and that's not, you know, you raise a really interesting point about, about diversity, which is, Let's say again. We, we all understand the type of judge, the type of justice that Joe Biden is going to be looking for. But but it's it is that interesting question of intellectual diversity. Do you need a black female? 
to achieve that sort of diversity, or could you find an Hispanic female? But okay, well, we're not going to look at Hispanic females because we've already got you know one or two of those on the court, or or, or whatever. I mean, it, the whole larger question is: Don't you want to look at that diversity of thought, and and maybe maybe there's a black male, maybe there's a white male who could reflect that diversity as well, but they're not going to get a consideration for this. And I guess I think that would make be frustrating if I were one of those people saying, I don't even have a chance. I've wanted to be a Supreme Court justice all my life, and this is maybe the one opportunity, and now I'm shut out because I, I'm not the right gender or I'm not the right color. How frustrating must that be? Absolutely. And if you Thanks for calling. I appreciate it. I appreciate okay. it, Bob. Thanks for calling. 855-616-1620. Okay, Kevin in Milwaukee. Kevin, you're on WTMJ. Hello. Hey, Jeff. Nice to be speaking with you again. What do you um, think? I think it's okay for, I, I, you know, the, the overtness of the comment was turned out to be a pretty savvy political move. And I like that mm-hmm. you are, you know, respecting this from two different perspectives, the political move and then the pragmatic view of it. I think, you know, Reagan, when he appointed Clarence Thomas, correct me if I'm wrong on that fact, um, was probably a little bit more covert about his, you know, desires to find someone who is both qualified and do exactly what your last callers had an issue with, which is, hey, let's fill up. white men. You had a good 200 year run at the court. And so, hey, all those people, the Asians, the um, Hispanics who aren't going to get a kick at the can with disappointment. Yeah, that's what they were saying for the last. That's what everyone who wasn't a white male was saying for over 200 years. All right. And so now I don't think it's the worst thing in the world to say, hey, that was a strategy that America had in place for 200 years. My strategy, if I'm your president, is going to be to bring certainly qualified candidates to the table to nominate. But also, if we can help assemble a court that reflects the diversity of our country, um, that, that that enriches everybody. And and I don't think that that's, a, you know, it worked for Reagan and it worked for Biden, too. What's the difference, Jeff? Well, thanks for the call. I appreciate. I think there. First of all, I, I don't remember Ronald Reagan saying that we're going to. I, I'm going to. I promise that I'm going to appoint a black male at the expense of of, of everyone else. That I'm not going to to look at, at other people. As a matter of fact, there 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 had been black Supreme Court justices before you know Clarence Thomas. Now, I mean, and I appreciate that. I appreciate that diversity is an issue. And like I've been saying all along, I, I respect the fact that, that Joe Biden gets to honor his campaign promise. I just think it was a campaign promise that he shouldn't have made. And I think that when you limit, if I were the president, okay, maybe you need to make this promise to get yourself to be the president. And it may very well be that some of these lists of people that he's going to be looking at will turn out to be absolutely outstanding judges and, and maybe on their own merits, if it wasn't just for the, the fact that they only get in the door because of race and gender, maybe maybe you, you'd pick them out independently. And, and that could very well be the case. And as somebody who you know appreciates interpretations of the law, I, I hope that that's the case. I hope they can find somebody who's a consensus builder instead of a flamethrower. I, I know it's going to be somebody who's liberal, and that, that that's okay. There's no problem with that. But I do find myself wondering, how do you say to... The young law students that that are out there, and, and again, let, let's 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 say that they're they're with Biden's ideology. How do you say 
all right, there's going to be ceilings as far as you can go because you know, we, we, we've got to check these various boxes that are out there. And if you don't meet this particular box, well, okay, then, then you don't get in the door. So, I mean, Biden is following his campaign promise. Whoever he selects, I think, will probably get confirmed. I'm one of these guys who believes that you have to and you should give great deference to, you know, the president when they come up with their picks. And like I say, hopefully whoever he chooses will go on to have a long and distinguished career. But if we're truly moving to become a colorblind society, saying that the only person who can get this particular position has to meet this characteristic and that characteristic. It seems to me we're moving further and further away from that, that colorblind society that we're, we're all talking about. At least that, that's how I look at it. Um, hopefully, like I say, it'll be somebody who's extremely qualified, and, and hopefully this won't be one of these incredibly contentious hearings. But by narrowing his focus in this way, I, I think he's also maybe even diminished, maybe even diminished who he picks, because people are always going to look at that and say, well, gee, who was it that did not get picked because they didn't check off the boxes? A lot of stuff coming up on the program. Don't go anywhere. Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. And now, WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Good afternoon, Wisconsin. Welcome back to the show. The hypocrisy of politicians is just amazing to me. Let me take you back to the spring of 2018. Spring of 2018, Scott Walker was the governor of the state of Wisconsin. And the Wisconsin had a budget surplus. And one of the things that Walker intended to do was give some of that money back to the taxpayers. And I want to be real consistent here. This was something that I supported. I have always believed that too often you have politicians that believe that tax money is their money, when the truth of the matter is tax money is our money. That is the money that we taxpayers pay. And if government has more tax dollars than it needs, I, I think that it, it should go back to the people that, that paid it. Obviously, we have an obligation to pay taxes, and that's to cover the expenses of government. But if if government has more than it needs, it should come back to us. So anyhow, okay, 2018, Governor Walker running for re-election. We had a surplus. He rolled out a proposal to – his proposal was a $100 per child tax rebate. And so Walker's idea was what I want to do is a, is a way of giving this money back to Wisconsinites. What I want to do is I want to have a rebate. So for, for every child that you have, you get 100 bucks. Okay, so that, that was the proposal. Now let's put aside the question of is that fair to people who don't have kids or whatever. But he, he it came out with that proposal. The proposal passed the Senate 17 to 15 with only one Democrat voting in favor of it. All the other Democrats voted against it. And a matter of fact, many of them criticized this. Um, Kathleen Weinhout of Alma, who was state senator, and she was one of the Democrats running for governor, she said, no, we... We, we can't do this. We, we can't have a tax rebate before the November election. It looks like voters are being bribed with a $100 payment. 
mean, so that was the argument. We are bribing voters. Um, I'm looking at one of the other stories that was out there at the time, and the um, assembly, the Democratic, the head of the Democrats in the state Senate, um, um, Gordon Hintz, this is an election year bribe. The governor might as well save money on postage. You just hand these checks out at polling places. Okay, so th- this is this was where Democrats were in 2018. How dare we take some of the surplus and how dare we give it back to taxpayers in one form or another? It's just you might as well just stand there and hand out $100 checks at the polling places. Now, because Republicans control the Senate and the Assembly and because Scott Walker was the governor, it, it went through. I applauded it because, like I say, I think that, you know, when, when government has more money than it needs, it it should go back to the taxpayers. But this was the argument. It's bribery. It's terrible. Okay, that was 2018. Flash forward to 2022. Here's the story, JS Online. Governor Tony Evers offered a plan Thursday to give every Wisconsin resident a $150 tax rebate cover more child care costs for parents, and funnel $750 million into education. The Democratic governor's plan for tax rebates echoes one of his predecessor, Republican Scott Walker, offered as he headed into re-election in 2018. Democrats panned Walker's proposal at the time, but, but Evers says, well, the rebates make sense now <laughs> because inflation is high and we're in the midst of a coronavirus panic. I just, just, I'm sorry. I just move away from me because my head is about ready to explode. Look, th- this isn't about whether it's a good idea if you've got a surplus to give money back to the taxpayers. My answer is heck yes. And in this particular case, they're going to be giving this money back. If Evers' proposal goes through, they're going to be giving this money back to all people, regardless of age or regardless of income. You're going to get 150 bucks back, and it's not going to be as limited as Walker's was. So let me be real clear here at the outset. I, I have no problems with, with this at all. It's your dough. If the state has more of it, largely because of Republicans' restraints that they put in on Evers in the budget, but that, that's okay. Let, let's look at where we are. They've got more money than they need, so they're going to give it back to us. I am all in favor of that. But it is the screaming hypocrisy of when Scott Walker wanted to do it, it was a bribe. You might as well stand at the polling place and hand out $100 checks or whatever. But when Tony Evers now wants to do it, well, it it makes sense. Well, here's the bottom line. It makes sense now, not arguing about it, but it made sense in 2018 as well. And the screaming hypocrisy of people who say, well, we, we, we shouldn't have done it then because it's election bribery and this is terrible and we should delay another year and a half to, gee, I'm a Democrat, I'm the governor now, and, you know, I want to give this money back because people, then I can campaign on the fact that I returned $150 a person to people. Oh, okay, I'm all in favor of giving the $150 back but like i say it was a good idea in 2018 when walker wanted to do it and it's just as good an idea now in 2022 when evers wants to do it it is just the people who were criticizing walker be curious to see their reaction and as far as the well it makes sense now when i'm going to do it but it didn't make sense in 2018 give me a break or 
as Lyndon Johnson used to famously say, don't pee down my back and tell me it's raining. Back with more in just a minute. This is Jeff Wagner. Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. See, if Tony Evers wants to score political points by giving me $150 of my tax money back, that's okay. I'm going to also appreciate that the only reason there was a surplus to give back in the first place was because the Republicans rewrote his budget proposals. But that's okay. Put the 150 bucks in my pocket. It, it's not going to change how I'm going to vote in November. Give the money back. I just think it's interesting that when Scott Walker wanted to do it, we were referred to, it was referred to as an election bribe and things like that. But when Evers does it, well, this is the time to do it. No, it's always the time to do it. All right, let us switch gears. Spotify, the musician Neil Young, and Joe Rogan. Spotify is probably the world's largest streaming service. And what happens is musical artists can allow Spotify to stream their music, and then they are paid um, as a result of you know what percentage of people stream their various songs. And it's a great way if you want to have access to you know music without having to go out and buy the CDs and things like that. You pay something to Spotify, or in some cases, you don't have to pay. You just have to listen to some advertisements, and, and the musicians are, are compensated for this. Spotify also has all sorts of other things that are on there as well. And arguably, the most popular thing on Spotify right now is a podcast by someone called Joe Rogan, who is a commentator slash comedian. Um, Rogan is uh, sort of an out-there guy. He's had this podcast for several years, and Spotify cut this deal with him a while back, about a year or so ago, where um, they were going to pay him like a hundred million dollars, and the Spotify, his is the mo- for the exclusive rights to show to run his podcast, and right now his show is the most listened to podcast on Spotify. It, it's it's huge. All right, Joe Rogan is out there. Joe Rogan is one of the. I mean, he's referred to as an anti-vaxxer. I, I don't know. He, he's clearly, he's clearly somebody who is into alternative treatments and things like that. It is not the conventional thing. And a lot of the people who believe that you, you can only get your information from Anthony Fauci and from the CDC, and that everybody else that's promoting sort of other alternative remedies is just crazy and shouldn't be allowed to communicate that to people. So for for everybody who believes that. You know, Joe Rogan is kind of viewed as as the Antichrist that's out there. So Neil Young, who is, of course, a very, very liberal musician, Neil Young says to Spotify, look, here's the deal. I I don't want you. You're going to have to choose between my music and Joe Rogan. And I don't want to be on the same streaming platform that, that has both of these. So you got to pick. you got to either choose me or you got to choose Joe Rogan because I believe that, you know, Joe Rogan is promoting all these, you know, crackpot sort of theories and things like that. And, and if people listen to him and end up believing this, they can end up dead, et cetera, et cetera. So uh, Neil Young says, me or Rogan. Spotify has now, well, Neil Young wrote the, the famous song, you know, Southern Man. Um, Spotify has now said, you know, 
uh, Spotify doesn't need Neil Young around anymore. So Spotify has agreed to pull Neil Young's music. So they have decided to choose Joe Rogan over Neil Young. And this is creating this sort of huge controversy out there. Spotify says, well, okay, he wants off. We'll we'll take him off. We hope he reconsiders this, and we hope to be able to welcome him back, but we're not going to get rid of the Joe Rogan podcast. All right, our number is 855-616-1620, which is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I understand that a lot of the stuff that Joe Rogan says on his podcast is controversial a a lot of it might fly in the face of kind of the conventional wisdom that's out there and i understand that for example the anthony fauci's of the world they they just they, they think that this is is dangerous advice and people shouldn't be giving it at the same time we we do have this thing in this country called the the first amendment and it gives people a right to speak their mind it gives people a right to present their theories if you've got doctors that are out there or health professionals or just average citizens that have opinions that run counter to what the prevailing wisdom is should they have a right to do that should they have a right to express it see the conversation now has been okay joe rogan should be pulled off of spotify because he's presenting false information and people might be relying on that false information and they might be acting at their detriment so he shouldn't be allowed to have his podcast or at this case he shouldn't be allowed to have his podcast on spotify where it's got access to all these people 855-616-1620 that's the accident mortgage talk and text line spotify has already obviously decided that for a variety of reasons most of which my guess would be are economic that they're they're going to take joe rogan over neil young right should joe rogan be canceled should he be pulled off of places like spotify for promoting fake information about vaccines Or does he have a right to present his opinions? People have a right to listen to it, and then people have a right to decide whether, gee, do I want to investigate further, or is this guy just a complete crackpot? 855-616-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Spotify chooses Joe Rogan over Neil Young. Did they make the right call? 855-616-1620. We discuss in a moment. Welcome back to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. Eight five five six one six one six twenty, which is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Um, you know, Neil Young has effectively kind of canceled himself with the Spotify thing. He said to Spotify, "You you got to choose me or Joe Rogan," and they've chosen you know Joe Rogan, who they paid approximately a hundred million dollars to, and has the most listened to podcast on on the Spotify situation. But I guess to me, it's kind of like the larger question that's out there about all right. Joe Rogan presents alternative theories about a, a number of different things. Sh- should should he not be able to do that? Or does he have every right to have an Alex Jones on? And look, I, I think Alex Jones is a crackpot. Does he have a right to have an Alex Jones on and people have a right to listen to it or not listen to it? And people have a right to decide whether to take it seriously or not. 855-616-1620. Let's start with Carl in Oshkosh. Carl, you're on WTMJ. 
hello. Hey, my my only comment is is unpopular or fringe speech is the only speech that needs to be protected. Because if it was popular speech, nobody would be complaining. Um, so I think Joe Rogan, and I don't listen to Joe Rogan, but he has every right to espouse any opinion he has on that and back it up with any, be it quack physicians or or not. Uh, but that's the only speech that the First Amendment is, is written for, the unpopular speech. Um, yeah, and the second yeah, no. comment I have about this the second comment I have about it is, if you're taking your medical advice from Joe Rogan, you got bigger issues than whether he's on Spotify or not. <laughs> Thanks for the call, Carl. I appreciate. It. Well, see that. It, it, see, of course, the the, the government. It, you know, the First Amendment applies to government limitations on on speech. But this is the the idea that there's a lot of people out there who think that's exactly what the government should do. Now, this isn't a per se First Amendment issue because Spotify is a business that gets to decide. But there's a lot of people out there who believe that we should crack down, that these different platforms, that they have to silence these diverse voices. And I, look, I, I I think I've probably ha- heard maybe about 15 minutes of, of Joe Rogan ever. You know, so I'm, I'm not one of these sort of regular listeners, and I'm not one of these guys who goes to the ivermectin, you know, and I don't want to have that debate anymore. Um, I'm a guy who's been vaccinated and boosted and all those different types of things. But it's this idea, this attempt that's out there that we can try to, or we should try to cancel these ideas that we disagree with. Well, no, the, the way, I mean, I guess I've believed that the way, and this is how I've done my show for 26, 27 years, it's always been, we talk about ideas, and we talk about concepts and then people can listen to different opinions and then people can decide for themselves but we don't necessarily need those ideas to be censored in this particular case neil young has every right to say it's me or it's him and spotify has every right to say okay neil sorry but don't let the door hit you on the way out. We're going to side with Joe Rogan. Now, my guess is at some point in time in the not-too-distant future, uh, Neil Young is going to decide, you know, I, I miss some of that money that, that's coming in through all those Spotify streaming things. And my guess is my guess is Neil Young is going to be back on Spotify within the next year or so. And you know what? My guess is Joe Rogan is still going to be on Spotify within the next year or so. When we come back, let's find out what John McCure has on his mind on Wisconsin's Afternoon News. Please stick around.